preaching today from 2 Samuel chapter 5. Find that on page 354 in your Bibles. 2 Samuel chapter 5, I'll read verses 1 through 6. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. Passage comes in 2 Samuel, and if you remember all the way back in 1 Samuel in chapter 18, If you remember all the way back when David was just a youth, still watching over his father's sheep, if you think all the way back there, that was the first time God had promised that David would be king. And we have finally arrived to the fulfillment of that promise. That promise happened all the way back there, all those many years ago. And if we were writing that story today, it might sound a little bit like a fairy tale. You might expect it to go something like this, that Samuel anointed David to be king, and he ascended to the throne, and they lived happily ever after. But that's not what happened, is it? We've been laboring for a long time through all of these different facts of of David's history, We have found that he encountered years and years of intense opposition to what God had promised. Years and years of it. Nevertheless, we have come to the fact that God does indeed keep his promises. Chapter 5 records uh, this happy occasion of the leaders of the children of Israel coming to David being covenanted with him that he would be their king. We find in David a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find in the people's response a picture of our own response to our Lord and Savior Jesus, a picture of our salvation. And I'm going to explain what happens here with David's coronation, we might say, his uh, is ascending to the throne, but I want you to be listening for what I'll call the the music of redemption. You know how music goes, that a song might begin with a a thread of music that is the theme, and and there's some variations, but that thread continues all along. And I want you to hear that theme of redemption that echoes and echoes throughout history, finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We'll see some 
important applications of that. The idea that I'll summarize is this, that Jesus is our covenant Lord. We are his bone and flesh, the language of chapter 5. Therefore, trust in him for your salvation. We'll begin with seeing how David is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, a, a picture of him, if you will. As I said, David waited years to become king, and he faced intense opposition. And this is really one picture that we have of the coming Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who is foretold to be King of kings and Lord of lords. But we will see that Jesus faced intense opposition. Let me just rehearse a little bit of what we've come to know about David. You might remember that Saul was glad enough to have David in his courts after he'd killed the giant. he delivered them from that great enemy, and Saul was really glad, happy to have him there. But that joy soon turns to jealousy and an intense hatred of David. He was obsessed with fear. Well, David was in his own in his own room comforting him with music. Saul took up his own spear and threw it at David, not just once but twice. Tried to kill this deliverer. And then he tried to have him killed in his own bed. And then he organized a, a kill squad, his armies to go and try to hunt him down and to remove him, so jealous and angry. Saul did finally die, didn't he? We might think that this is the moment that David had waited for. for All through that time, he was indeed waiting on the Lord, and perhaps this was the time. But no, we found that when Saul died, that... His remaining family and armies organized a rebellion against David, and they fought a civil war against David for seven and a half years. But then Abner, the commander of those armies, seemed to repent of his ways. He came to David and uh, brokered a peace, what David was longing for. He'd been pursuing this uniting of the tribes of Israel and pursuing them so that they, there would be one king in Israel. And here comes Abner. And now you might think, this is the time. But again, no. Joab, by his own agenda and by his fierce vengeance, took matters into his own hands and murdered Abner. He torpedoed the peace process. And Ishbosheth, the uh, Son of Saul, who had been the had been acting as king, he too was murdered by wicked men. Another damaging torpedo to the possibility of peace. All through this process, David was waiting and pursuing God's will and God's purpose in his life. It wasn't perfect. Seen errors and ways that. David himself, out of anxiety or faithlessness, he himself fails and sins. But genuinely, his faith is being formed around and grounded upon the promises of God. 
And he shaped his actions around that trust that he had in God. And it is in these ways that we have that foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. From our perspective, we can look back on the life of Jesus and we could we can easily say, well, of course Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Crown him with many crowns. And in saying that, you might forget the consistent and intense hatred and opposition that he went through. You might forget the humility and the very humble circumstances we often remark on this when we think at Christmas time about the fact that the King of Kings was born in a barn and laid in the trough that would feed animals. We shake our heads at that. And his upbringing was in humble circumstances. And then as he entered his ministry, it was not received with great acclaim. Rather, there were those that stood against him and called him as being from the devil this is the Son of God being accused as being, of being the devil himself. And he underwent those that reject him and who mocked him and who brought false charges against him. He was arrested and tried. He was insulted and beaten and whipped. And finally, he had to carry his own cross to the place of his death. By the hands of wicked men, he was put to death. But he waited for the glory and the victory that would happen at the cross. He did indeed suffer the just wrath of God the Father poured out on him as the payment for sin. It was necessary that that happened, that he would suffer. But then, because the Father accepted that sacrifice, and because it was not possible for the pains of death to hold him, God raised Jesus up to life. And through his death and through his victorious uh, resurrection, Jesus forever defeated Satan and forever defeated death. And he has ascended on high as a victorious king, ascending there far above the heavens, and has entered into the throne room of God and is now seated at his right hand, ruling now and forevermore. You hear echoes of that from David's suffering and his ascending through the throne. And you may think that David had it hard, but it is just a children's story compared to what Jesus went through. It isn't a story either. David went through real hardship, and so did Jesus. He suffered the wrath of the Father for our sins. And you thought that David's glory was great? Well, it pales in comparison to the greatest glory that ever is or will be. That Jesus Christ is indeed king forever. And that he has a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That he rules forever and ever. Chapter 5 captures some of the foreshadowing of 
of the glory of Jesus Christ and the life suffering the ascension to glory that David experienced. It then turns to give us a picture of our salvation, our response to the king. And there is a beautiful relationship that is established here between David and, and those that he would rule that is a picture of our relationship to our great king and savior, Jesus Christ. Let me show you how. The text says that all the tribes of Israel came to David and they anointed him king. This is the third time he's been anointed. The first time was all the way back that I had described when the prophet Samuel came to him, when he was just that young boy in his father's house. And he was anointed then for the first time. You will be king over Israel. He was anointed a second time after the death of Saul and the tribe of Judah acknowledged David as king and they anointed him as king then. This is the third time. And this is the fulfillment of that promise way back in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. The promise that David would be king over all of Israel. So the leaders who represented the tribes come and they they beseech David to be their king. They give three reasons for this. The first thing they said was, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Kind of a funny thing to say, isn't it? But it has the idea of being a family relationship. So if you look at your brothers and sisters, if you look at your parents... Your grandparents, you could say to them, I'm, we're bone and flesh of each other. We're related to each other. There's something important about that because God had said that the king of Israel must be from Israel. This goes all the way back into Deuteronomy even before they had a king. God, in preparation for this moment, said the kings of Israel will be from Israel. It must be uh, uh, one of your brethren in the language of Deuteronomy. But there's more to it here. If you look at what they said, they came to David and they didn't say, you are our bone and flesh. They said, we are your bone and flesh. And there is a a posture in what is being said here that is really important because it indicates that they are coming in a position of supplication to one who is greater than them. If they had come and said, well, you're one of us, they would come across as the one who are, are the greater and, and say, well, yeah, yeah, you can be our, our king. We'll, we'll allow that. It's not what they're saying. They're coming and in supplication saying to the one who is king, will you take us to be your king or to be your people? Because we are your people. We are your bone 
our flesh. They are asking him to be their covenanted king. And verse 3 says that, uh, that they came to the king in Hebron and that King David then made a covenant with them. I'll say more about that covenant in a moment, but I want you to recognize that that rationale, the posture of the leaders of Israel who come to beseech David to covenant with them to be their king. Second, this will be fairly brief because it's been demonstrated over and over, the elders of Israel acknowledged his leadership. They said, when Saul was the king, you were the one who led us out and brought us in. You were the one who was accomplishing all of the things that were necessary in our country. And in saying that, they expressed their confidence and trust that, that David would continue to do as he had done. They were expressing their, uh, their, uh, their willingness to follow his lead. And thirdly, and most importantly, they asked David to be king because God had promised it. Listen to what they said again. They also, in times past, Saul was king over us, and you let us out and brought us in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. In their original language, there's an emphasis on the word you. It is, grammatically, it's, it's placed in a position, and it's, and it's stated, and it's, it's stated in a way, if you let, read it literally, you shepherding, you will shepherd my people, and you shall be ruler over Israel. They were identifying that they knew what God's promise was. They knew that all the way back there, that God had promised that David would be king. And that it is for this reason that they come now before him to accept or or to ask that that would be the case. And it, uh, it serves to illustrate a number of different things. One is that no matter what the opposition that David faced, God was going to accomplish his purpose. This is exactly what God had promised. And it's finally coming, uh, coming to, uh, to fruition. It's as, as if the writer, had, under the burden and weight of all these many years, is saying, see, just look, look. God has done what he said he would do. And in doing that, there's this, in a sense, invitation to come to David and to recognize him as king. I also like the fact that the words that they use uh, have the language of the king being a shepherd. That's a a really fun topic that you can do some more reading on if you like to think of how how God is our great good shepherd and is our king and that he is 
given men to rule and that in the Old Testament, the kings were also described as shepherds. So I'm going to use that phrase, a shepherd king, just to remind you of that. This is what the children of Israel were asking for. And in their language, they said, you led Israel out and brought us in. Shepherd does. It's a hear that in other places in scripture. And then very literally, God said, you shall shepherd my people. Well, this identifies the, the type of godly leadership that David was anointed to, to accomplish. Godly leadership doesn't rule over people like so many rulers this day in a in a way that brings everybody under the ruler in order to establish this person's might. Instead, we have the model of Jesus Christ who said, the good shepherd king came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. The children of Israel understood this and they expressed their trust that David would carry out the responsibilities of the king just as representing God to them. And so David made a covenant with them. I like the way that Matthew Henry describes this. He says that, the, that he accepted the petition of the elders he agreed to fulfill his calling as king. And he did so in the presence of God by this public covenanting. He made a covenant with them in the presence of the Lord. He bound himself to be their king. And as Matthew Henry goes on to say that that meant that he promised to rule them righteously, to defend them with his life if necessary, to serve them as their judge in peace and their captain in war and they oblige themselves to obey him. Having explained this response to David, I, I hope that you can see why I described the idea of the, the, the musical theme of redemption that just runs through this passage. Can't you hear the music of Jesus, so to speak? in David, and the theme of our response to Christ's sacrifice and what the children of Israel did. That theme sounds loud and clear in the life of Jesus as portrayed in the New Testament. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humbled himself, became man, became a servant, he laid down his life for us. And by his life and death, by his resurrection and ascension, Jesus has become head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's the way the Apostle Paul describes the work of Jesus Christ. He is the head of all. He is the king. And as head, we are his body. We are bone and flesh of Jesus Christ. 
That's the language of how, by faith, we respond to Jesus Christ. We come to him and acknowledge that he alone is king. He alone is savior. He alone is the way of salvation. And that by faith that we become children of God, united to Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. And so intimately united to Jesus Christ that it can be phrased as that we, you are the body of Christ. Think of the implication of that flowing out of what, what we see in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Remember the, the, the supplicating position of the elders that come to David. They had rebelled against him. In one sense, he had every right to be angry with them and to grind them in the guilt of their rebellion. But he did not. The people came in supplication, saying, would you take us as your people? Would you be our king? We can say to Jesus Christ that by faith, you are our king. For your flesh and your bone, they're yours. And we can plead with an intimacy that is that union with Christ. And it's in the the moments of our anxiety and despair that we can plead this with the one who is our king. And I would remind you as well of the, the fact that Christ has even given us a sign of this union. Can't help but remark on the sign of baptism that we celebrated last week. It's the sign that says, you are my people. We come in supplication to a king. You are my body. We are your body and bone. You can also come to him acknowledging his faithful leadership. He is indeed a good shepherd. And you know that. You've each experienced the Lord's tender mercies in your life. You've each experienced the fact that as you have believed in him, that he has indeed forgiven you rather than grinding you into the dirt. He is your good shepherd. And you may come to him knowing that the Lord has promised that Jesus would be the king of salvation. That the Lord God himself has promised that Jesus would be our good shepherd. By faith, you can trust in that promise. Sealed by the blood of the lamb, the blood of the shepherd himself. By faith, you can trust that he is a righteous, victorious, powerful, loving king that he will care for you because he has covenanted to be your savior and your king.
want to close this message by speaking as I have, as a herald of Christ. I've been speaking in, in, this, in this application uh, up to this point as, as a herald to say, this is what this passage declares to you, that Jesus is your king and that all of you who by faith are trusting in him can plead these things to the Lord. Let me now speak to you if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. You are not believing in him as your Savior. As a herald of Christ, I call you to come to Jesus. Call you to humble yourself before him. That by faith you would ask him to be your shepherd king. In this passage, there is something of a warning. You may look at these northern, tri- northern tribes and, and say, why didn't you come to this conclusion earlier? Why didn't you acknowledge David seven and a half years ago? Why did you go through all of this pain and wasted life and time and resources? With a similar urgency, I would ask you, what are you doing? Are you wasting your time and your life thinking that you can find happiness somewhere else? You will not ever find happiness anywhere else. You will not ever find forgiveness anywhere else than in Jesus. This passage also has an invitation, doesn't it? Because David did not grind his foot next of those who came. And Jesus does not grind his foot on those who come to him in repentance. In love and in mercy, David welcomed back these repentant rebels. And I can say with the authority of God himself, that if you repent, that God will not turn you away. And there's an invitation in that. Repent of your sins. To come to Jesus as your shepherd king. Jesus is that one and only Savior. By faith, I pray that you would trust him for your salvation. Let's pray. Oh God, what a glorious victory you have won against sin. What a tender love you have shown to us. You do not turn us away when we come beseeching you for forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we are your children. Remind us that we are your bone and flesh. And Lord, we come and with with a holy boldness we even appeal to you on that basis, that we are yours, we are your children. Pray that you would meet the needs that burden us, that you would communicate to us the forgiveness of our sins, that you would demonstrate to us that we are your children, your body and blood. In Jesus' name we pray. I invite you to turn to Psalm 
89, Psalm closes with an assurance that David rules as king according to his promise. Later we'll come, uh, very soon we'll come to a promise that's even greater than that, that, uh, that this psalm refers to, that of David's children there will always be a king. Looking forward to Jesus who is always ours. Let's sing Psalm 89a, please stand to sing.